Well, today I'm starting a new series of messages called Hope. Some time ago, um, I just kept coming back to this place in my spirit where I, I felt like the Lord uh, was saying to me that one of the things that he wants to work or that he wants to do in his people really is bring us to a place of renewed or restored hope. That we, as his people, are people who have a hope. We should have a hope. As we start this conversation on hope, hope is kind of one of those, it's kind of one of those weird concepts. When you try to define the word hope, it, uh, we kind of we kind of understand it, but but as you think about hope, the thing about hope is you you more you know more about hope when you lack of hope than when you do see it. In other words, you recognize the lack of hope a lot easier than you recognize when hope exists. Hopelessness is one of those things that that it, when it when it's happening. You see it because hopelessness is like a cage. As I thought about hope and I thought about hopelessness and I, I thought about how do, we, how do we talk about hope and how do we talk about hopelessness, this concept of a cage just kept coming back to me. See, hopelessness is a cage that teaches me boundaries and limitations that are inconsistent with my ability. Hopelessness is like a cage. When it's at work in my life, it sets these boundaries and it sets these limitations that don't allow me to reach my potential, that don't allow me to live out my abilities, that don't allow me to exhibit how I was created, my design. When I was a kid, I think I was around eight, nine years old, I went over to a friend's house, and um, and they had they had birds. They had pet birds. I had never, you know, I'd seen like birds at a zoo before, and of course, birds out in the yard. But I'd never seen anyone have pet birds before, and so I thought it was really cool. These people had these birds; they were parakeets, and I thought, well, that's really cool. Um, and and I grew up in a home we were dog people. Uh, and that was it. Like, we didn't have cats. We didn't have, we had dogs. That was it. And that was the only kind of pets we had. But these people had pet birds. And I thought, well, that's pretty awesome. I, I, I like that. So I went home and I told my parents, I'm like, hey, I want to get a pet bird. And my parents being dog people, they were like, no, we're not going to get a pet bird. Um, and I'm like, no, I really, I really want to have a bird. It's so awesome. I was telling about this really cool bird these people had. It's so pretty. It's so awesome. And, you know, it'll talk to you and all of this stuff. And, and so my parents, you know, being, being really wise parents, they were like, okay, well, you know what? If, if you want a bird, uh, if you can save up the money uh, for a bird, then, then you can get a bird. And I'm like, yeah, cool, I can totally do that. And they're like, no, but you got to understand, it's more than just the bird. You have to buy the bird cage, you have to buy the bird food, you have to, I mean, you have to do all the stuff and you have to take care of the bird. Are you sure that you really want to do that, Randy? And I was like, absolutely, I'm totally, I'm on board for this. And so much to my parents' chagrin, you know, as parents, we kind of play bluff sometimes with our kids, right? You don't want to say no, so you like put them in an impossible situation. 
or when they realize, think, oh, they're, they'll lose their attention for that after a while, and they won't want to do parents, huh? My parents were like, ha, he'll lose attention of that after a little while. He won't want to waste his money on a bird. Who wants to spend money on a birdcage? Well, I was kind of stubborn, and I know that's hard to believe. And, and so I just kept saving my money and saving my money until one day I went and said, Mom, Dad, I got enough money, and I want to go buy a bird. And so we went to the pet store. This was back, the pet store was in the mall. We went to the mall, went to the pet store, and I bought a bird cage, and I bought a bird and bird food and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, took the bird home, and my parents were like, put the, you know, you've got, you've got to keep the bird in your room. You've got to take care of it, all that stuff. And so I thought, I went home, and I thought, this is the most awesome thing in the world. I have a pet bird. How cool is this? I got a new best friend, and he can fly. So when I bought the bird, the little bird guy at the shop, probably should, he probably wasn't bird guy, but that's how I forever remember him, started teaching me about how to take care of the bird. And he told me, now, when you get the bird, you're going to have to reach in, you're going to have to feed the bird, you're going to have to change the water. But make sure that you don't just leave the, the door of the birdcage open because the bird will fly out and he could fly away. And, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want a bird for because he can fly. That's going to be cool. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I got a new best friend, he can fly, we can do some cool tricks. So I get the bird home open the cage, clean, you know, doing all the stuff. And after, I'm thinking, after a few days, he'll get used to being here. We'll be new best friends, and he won't want to fly away. So I thought, I'll open the cage. The reason I got him is so he can fly. Let me let him fly around my room. I, you know, I'll teach him to fly around my room at first. He can come land on my shoulder. Basically, I wanted to be a pirate, okay? <laughs> he'll land on my shoulder. We'll... We'll talk, you know, um, just get me a peg leg and an eye patch, and we'll be set. So I get this bird, I open, I open the cage, and he won't come out of the cage. Like, he won't come out of the cage. And I'm like, that bird guy totally lied to me. So I'm trying to coax him out of the, out of the cage. He really won't come out. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do, pull him out of the cage. And I set him on my little dresser, and I'm thinking, okay, buddy, the doors are closed, the windows are closed, it's time to fly, let's see what you got. And this bird, he would not, he didn't want to leave the cage, and then when I pulled him out of the cage, he, he would not fly. Pushes the baby bird out of the nest, so maybe if I just give him a little, a little nudge, So he's on the edge of my dresser. I'm not a psychopath, okay? Just, <laughs> I, I just wanted to be a pirate. <laughs> so, so I have to edge him closer and closer to the, e and sure enough, he, he, he couldn't fly. He would never fly. So I went back to the went back to the pet store something's wrong with my bird he doesn't fly did y'all clip his wings no his wings aren't clipped he, he can fly bird never flew 
I'm not going to tell you what happened to the bird at the end of the story. I, I didn't. I didn't tell him. <laughs> but he never flew. He had been born in a cage. The cage was all he'd ever known. His mind, his embrace of his ability, his embrace of his capacity could never extend beyond the cage because the cage defined him. I wonder for me, I wonder for you, how many times our cage, where we've been born, circumstances that were beyond our control, how many times those things have defined us and created boundaries of hopelessness in our life that we don't even recognize, that we don't even know? Is it, is it possible that life, circumstances, culture, and even religion creates cages that rob us of hope, that rob us of potential? Is it, is it possible that we don't even entertain dreams because we don't believe that it's ever even possible for us? Is it possible that you and I walk around in our life experiencing hopelessness in areas that we were designed to fulfill incredible potential? And, and it's not just our family, it's not just our culture, even, even our religion, even our spirituality can create for us boundaries that perhaps God didn't create for us, we created for ourselves. We were looking in the book of Romans, and we're going to continue to look in the book of Romans because the conversation that Paul is having with the church at Rome as he's writing these letters to them really is all about that. It's all about the boundaries of religion, our spiritual thought that don't exist on God's side, but exist on our side. I want us to read this morning from Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 to you. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, everyone say faith. We have been justified through faith. How are we justified? Through, that wasn't everybody. How are we justified? Through, through faith. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by, by, into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And here's the key sentence. And hope does not put us to shame. How does hope not put us to shame? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
this particular passage of Scripture is so incredibly loaded, I want to encourage you this week during your daily 20 to meditate on Romans chapter 5. For those of you who maybe you're new to North Place or you don't know what a daily 20 is, our basic commitment to one another in this community is that all of us are going to have what's called a daily 20. A daily 20 is 20 at, at minimum. Some, some of us do longer than 20 minutes, but at minimum for all of us, because anyone can do 20 minutes, we set aside 20 minutes a day, 20 minutes for worship, 20 minutes for Bible reading, 20 minutes for prayer, and 20 minutes for meditation, just listening really to the voice of God. I want to encourage you during your daily 20 this week, don't rush past Romans chapter 5. I want to encourage you during your daily 20 this week to take time every every day during this week and slowly read through Romans chapter 5 because this passage, this chapter is so incredibly, we are justified. Paul is making the case that we, we are justified. In other words, we are, we're made righteous, we're made holy, we're made right with God as an act of or through faith. Now that is a revolutionary thought to the people that Paul was writing to. In fact, if we were to be very honest this morning, it's actually a revolutionary thought to many of us in this room. Because in, in their world, the world that Paul was writing to, there was a group of people, you know this, there was a group of people who were Jews that he was writing to, but also in Rome, you got to understand, Rome is like the metropolitan mecca of the world at that time. So all of the, of the major religions of the world were there in that community, and all of these different types of spirituality was, was existed. And so people were coming to faith, they were coming to Christ, Christ. And so the church there in Rome was made up of former Jews, but it was also made up of people from all kinds of different religions who were hearing about this, this Messiah, this teacher, Jesus, and were responding to it. And when they came into this newfound spirituality of being followers of Jesus, they were all bringing with them the baggage from their former spirituality. And the baggage from every one of their former spiritualities was the idea that we are justified by our works. In other words... I am saved, however they believed they would be saved, however they believed they would have a future, or they believed they would have peace, or they believed they would have hope, every bit of it came through their work, how good they were. Because in every religion of the world, you are justified by what you do. Here in Durban, we have a lot of people who have a lot of different religions. And if you talk to all of these people from all of these religions, every single one of them will come back to this idea that you are justified by what you do. If you're a good person, if you behave good, if you do good things for people, if you, if you behave in this way, then you'll get good karma. If you do this thing, then you'll please one of the gods. If you, you, you see what I'm saying? I guarantee you any conversation with any person you have, even people who tell you they're atheist and they don't believe in God still practice a form of humanism that says you get what you give. 
And so if you do good for other people, then good will come to you. Even if they don't believe in God, they still believe in works. It is absolutely a part of human nature and every God that we have created, any religion, fall into the trap of we are made justified by our people that Paul was writing to, not just the Jews, but the people from all of these other religions all believed they were justified by what they did. So they believed if I did good things, then God would do good things for me. Many of us in this room, some of you who grew up Christian, still believe that if you do good things, good things going to come to you. One of, the, one of the biggest feedbacks that I get about life at North Place is people come up to me and they say, I can't believe, you know, you guys mentioned taking up offering, but you don't like, you don't make a big deal about it. You don't constantly, you know, yell at us about it and threaten us and all this stuff. And I always want to say to them, you know what? The reason why is because the Bible teaches us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we respond to our faith relationship with God and we give. But if I yell at you and scream at you and manipulate you, I'm teaching you a false gospel that says if you give, then you're playing the Jesus lottery and so you're going to get. And there are laws that exist in the universe that God put in place of sowing and reaping, but I don't sow so that I can manipulate the heart of God and convince him to give to me. I sow because I believe in a God who takes my seed and multiplies it. There's a difference. And it's more than semantics. It's all about what Paul was writing about and what these people were struggling with. And the truth is, what many of us struggle with in our relationship with God is we're convinced, we're convinced that our only hope is how well we perform. You like that a lot. Our hope is based on how well we perform. The people that Paul were writing to were struggling with that very reality. And many of us in this room struggle with that reality. If you read Romans chapter 5, there's something incredible that happens. What Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5 is, listen, your hope, your hope doesn't come about as something that you can do or you can perform. In fact, if you're putting your hope in yourself, you're always going to be disappointed. It's going to be a cage that you'll never get out of. Because you can never perform well enough. And Romans chapter 5, in fact, a lot of the book of Romans was all about this idea of helping them to understand that the law, the rules, whatever the rules were, from whatever religion they were coming from, that the rules would never produce freedom for them because none of us could ever be perfect. But instead, God himself, who is perfection, came and not only not only obeyed all the rules, but superseded the rules and provided for us a gift that we could never guilt and the condemnation that comes as a result of the rules. Hope is a gift of dignity that breaks the chains of shame. Every other religion of the world brings us to the place of shame because we are never good enough. I'll never be perfect. I'll never give enough. I'll never serve enough. I'll never do all of the right things. And so it creates a cycle of shame in all of our lives. And that shame keep us, keeps us in a cage. 
I can't believe for the future. I can't hope for the future. I can't hope for a different reality in my life because of these circumstances that I'll never be able to overcome. I was born this way. I was born in this home. I was born this race. I was born this gender. I was born with this particular problem. Every other religion of the world tells me you got to perform to be righteous, but you'll never perform well enough to know for sure that you're righteous. Every other religion of the world will never guarantee you eternity. Every other religion of the world says you never really know if you're saved. You never really know if you have a hope. All you can do is do your best. All you can do is keep trying. All you can do is keep performing. All you can do, and some of us grew up in the church and still believe this and still think this, all I can do is show up and do my best and maybe, maybe I'll be saved. Maybe I'll make it to heaven. Maybe my life will get better. problem with that instead of feeding hope what it does is it feeds my shame it reinforces to me the things that I've done wrong it traps me in this continual cycle of saying I'm never going to be good enough I'm never going to break out of this place and, and maybe I get the degree but then I realize that that's not enough maybe I buy the house but I realize it's not enough maybe I get the new outfit but I still feel like the same person. Maybe, maybe I lose the weight, but nothing has really changed. Maybe, are you following me? Shame upon shame upon shame. And that shame defines us. Instead of freedom defining us, shame defines us. We define ourselves by those things that we are not. Instead of defining ourselves by those things that we are. Every other religion of the world continue points to us what we are not. While Jesus is saying, let me tell you who you are. You were created in the image of God Almighty. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are loved. You're favored. You're chosen. Let me tell you who you are. You're so valued that I paid the ultimate price for you. I paid the price for you that no other founder of any other religion anywhere in the world would pay. I gave myself for you. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to satisfy me. I have paid the price to satisfy myself. You don't have to bring me alms. You don't have to pay penance. You don't have to... You don't have to do anything to absolve yourself. I have absolved you because I paid the price for you. I love this idea of dignity because what shame does, what guilt does, what condemnation does, is it constantly brings me back to that place where my dignity is taken away from me. That bird in that cage. It may sound like silly story of a silly kid that bird in that cage had the capacity to soar it had the capacity to fly its wings had not been clipped it could have it could have flew away but it didn't because it didn't know it could it didn't believe it could it had no hope it had no hope i would put the cage by the window 
so it could see the other birds in the tree. This is your potential. This is what you're capable of. He never got it. He couldn't see it. He couldn't believe it about himself. Because he had always been in that cage. His dignity had been taken away from him. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We love to earn our own way. We love it. We love to pay the price. How many of us torture ourselves to accomplish something and can't receive a gift when we get it? How many of you have ever had someone give you something until you gave them something, you a gift, and you could not feel at ease? Desert and I, we, we went to dinner with some friends last night, and Ella had baked some cupcakes, and so we took them some cupcakes in, the, in our little Tupperware container, and they said to us, well, you know, we'll have to return your Tupperware to you, but in our culture, we have to put something in the Tupperware to give back to you, because we can't receive from you and not give something back. has it become a part of our human nature and a part of our own process of building dignity that we're incapable of receiving a gift? Have you ever considered that? Because when you, when you quiz somebody about that and you say, no, no, I'm giving you a gift. You don't have to give me anything in return. No, 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 no. I could never allow you to give me something. Friend, something is broken inside of us and we're so compelled by our own need for justification that we cannot receive. And this is why Christianity becomes twisted into just another religion that looks like all of the other religions in the world where we have to work for it because man is so insecure and so broken from Genesis chapter 3, so determined to be his own God, that he's unwilling to receive a free gift. Many of us in this room are living in a self-imposed cage. The door is wide open. Jesus has said to you, I love you. I've designed you. I've created you. I have a purpose and a destiny for you. It's time to soar. It's time to hope. It's time for you to live your potential. But many of us sit on our perch, unwilling to go out the door because we've determined in our own heart, the only way I'm going to fly is if I do it myself. If I make it happen myself, if I earn it, the problem is, the problem is, we can't earn it. Every time we reach a new goal, 
every time we achieve some new thing, we find that it's empty. We find there's another challenge, a bigger mountain. But at just the right time, while we were in our hopelessness, at just the right time when we were figuring out, I'll never be good enough, I'll never be smart enough, I'll never have enough money, I'll never look at you, change this about myself. He said, I'll pay that price for you. I'll pay that price for you. I love you. Here's a gift. Will you receive this gift? Will, will you soar? Will you, will you fulfill your potential? See, hope is a gift, a dignity that we can never earn on our own. And hope is also an assurance of the impossible made possible by a power not limited by my limitations. I know that's a, that's a long sentence, but, but get it. Hope, what hope really is, the hope that, that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 5, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is an assurance of the impossible made possible, not through my own works, not through what I can do or what I can achieve, but because of a power that is not limited by my limitations. See, Jesus came, and he came to earth, and he lived a sinless life. He lived outside of the cage. He was, the enemy tried to call him back into the cage. The enemy tried to tempt him. The enemy tried to prove to him that he wasn't capable of being the spotless lamb, but he lived outside of the cage. He existed outside of the cage. He was a power beyond the cage. And as a result, the Bible says that he, he paid the price for righteousness that none of us could ever pay. He lived above the law. He never offended it in any one way. See, the, the thing is, is you may look around this room and you may see people who are a different color than you. You may see people who are socioeconomically at a different place than you. You may see people who speak a, a different native language than you. But the one thing we all have in common is that we all are sinners. Every one of us have failed. Every one of us has broken a commandment. No matter what religion you practice, no matter what belief system you may have in your head or your heart or your culture, every single one of us in this room stand condemned based on the law. But at just the right time, while we were still sinners, this power that was not limited by our limitations stepped into your existence and stepped into my existence and opened the door of the cage and said, you're free. You're free. I'm unlocking your potential. I'm giving you the gift of dignity. I'm giving you the capacity to dream and believe and hope because this hope isn't based upon you. This hope isn't based even on your circumstances or these situations. This hope is based on a God that is bigger, that is greater, that is righteousness with you. I'm making space. I'm making room for you to soar. Every other belief system in the world is only there to tell you what you've done wrong. Where Jesus, where Jesus is here to make you right, to make me right, to release me to my potential my design as a mago day as in the image of god romans chapter 5 verses 18 and 19 says this consequently 
Just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Paul takes them through this comparison of Adam and how as a result of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden, humanity humanity entered this cycle of brokenness, this cycle of hopelessness, this cage of sin in which we all fall short of righteousness no matter what we believe righteousness is. Every one of you in this room has a sense of right and wrong and every one of us in this room, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have violated at some point in our life that conscious sense of right and wrong at some point. None of us are perfect. And in that imperfection, we've lived in this cage and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And yet, what Paul argues is that in the same way that Adam and Eve started this cycle, this cycle of being encaged as a result of sin through the act of one man, one who was above sin, who was righteous, through his act, all of us, We're given freedom. All of us were given hope. See, hope rewrites our stories and it removes the eventualities that all of us have accepted about ourselves. Hope rewrites the story of a little boy from Texarkana growing up in a mechanic's home. Growing up in a place where poverty, making your own way, how you defined your life, where alcoholism isn't a problem, it's just the way it is. Hope rewrites that story. Hope invades that little boy's life who's taught to believe you're never getting out of this town. Just be a good man. Try not to go to jail. Hope invades that place, that moment, and says, I've got, I've got more for you. There's potential inside of you. There's nothing wrong with staying there and living there the rest of your life, but you don't have to stay there and live there the rest of your life. Hope invades and says, you know what? You don't have to be an alcoholic. Yeah. Just because your family members were alcoholics doesn't mean you have to be an alcoholic. You don't don't have to live through a marriage that is war all of the time. Just because that's in your family tree, that that doesn't have to be your story. 
You don't, you don't have to be a, a slave in a job that's unfulfilling to you. Just because that's the story of everyone who's come before you and that's what you were born into and that's your cage, that doesn't have to be your story. I didn't say that about you. Why would you accept that about yourself? Living with shame, having this secret life that nobody knows about two or three times a year when you go to church. Hope, hoping that you do enough so the big man upstairs is good to you. Being afraid of him. Wondering if when you die you're going to go to hell or not. It's been a while since you've been to church and went to the altar and cried a few tears. It doesn't, doesn't have to be your life. It's a life of guilt, shame, condemnation. That doesn't have to be your life. Hope. Jesus breaks into your existence. He breaks into my existence and he rewrites the story. He opens, he opens the cage. Some of us in this room have accepted things about ourselves. We look at the we look at about our circumstances and our situations. We look at the world around us. We look at the economy, country, we look at our lives, we look at our family trees, and we begin to believe things about ourselves that are not things that God has spoken over us, but things that we have just embraced. I believe when we when we talk about hope, yeah, we're talking about your someday. We're talking about eternity, but we're also talking about right now. What do you believe about yourself? I know for many of us, what we believe about ourselves is my life will be what I make of it, how hard I work, how, how much I get it done. I'm here to challenge you this morning. I don't believe that's the message of the gospel. I believe the message of the gospel is that God invades your space at just the right time, knowing exactly who you are, and he opens, he opens the door of the cage, and he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, it's yours. It's time for you to fly. It's time for you to live up your, out your potential. It's time for your life to not reflect your past or those things that were put on you. It's time for your life to be everything that I created it to be. You close your eyes for a moment. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this message of hope. God, you have, you have burned in my heart that, that we are to be people of hope. And right now, God, the world that, that we live in feels very hopeless. For many of us, for many of us, the strain and the pressure and the stress of circumstances that are beyond our control has trapped us in a place of hopelessness. For some of us, our, our jobs, maybe our companies, feels really hopeless right now because, because of the economy. But Lord, what I understand is you've called us into a kingdom economy. God, and we don't enter that kingdom economy based on our performance. 
we enter that kingdom economy because we're your children. And by faith, we're able to live in this economy that somehow, some way, is outside of this broken economic system of the world we're in. I'm believing by faith this week that hope is going to begin to percolate in our hearts and lives. That you and I are going to be aware of when we're running into that cage. When the, we see areas where the door is shut. We're not believing God for the impossible in our lives. I'm praying that as you meditate on Romans chapter 5 this week, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. What it really means to embrace hope by faith. It has already done. I pray go with us this week. Holy Spirit, birth the message of hope in us. I ask you, bless this people, everything that they do, everything that they touch, everything that they are a part of. May they live in and experience the hope of the message of Jesus Christ. I ask it in your name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous week.